The passage this morning is Acts chapters 2 and 4. Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is the word of the Lord. Right, friends. Hey, good morning again. We made it. This is the series finale of Life in the Spirit, week 14. I wasn't sure if we'd make it all the way here, but we did. Congratulations. Way to go. Thanks for for hanging with us this morning. I'm really excited to try to to draw some things uh, together here at the end of a series. You know, when when a TV show has its like series finale. It's like, just don't, don't introduce any new characters. Bring, bring resolution, you know? A band is retiring. They're doing a farewell tour. You don't need to write any new songs. Just play the hits. We're here for the bangers. Just play the hits. And so this morning, my desire is to try to bring not conclusion as if we're not doing anything after this or not building off of this, but rather resolution to draw some themes together. But before I do that, I want to sort of recap a little bit. And so, you know, previously on Life in the Spirit, uh, we have looked at so far who the Spirit is, what He does, and how He comes. We did five weeks on spiritual gifts with a, with a deep dive into healing, prophecy, and tongues. We've looked at how to hear the voice of God. We've looked at how the Spirit brings about new life. We've looked at spiritual warfare. And so now the question is, having discussed all of this, having, having studied it all in the Scriptures, where do we go from here? Like, where do, we, where do we as a congregation move from here as a church? And by the way, in the last three months, we've actually grown quite a bit. So our, our, our average attendance here has gone from about 220 to a little over 300 in the last three months. You're wooing, and I appreciate that. I'm super excited about it too. It's a little overwhelming for me. 
I'm like 80% wooing and like 20% oh knowing, you know? <laughs> but it's great, it's 80-20 most days, sometimes 20-80. Uh, and even more, like amazingly, we've had baptisms uh, three in the last four weeks. We've got another one today, and we've got one next Sunday, so you can woo that all day long. Incredible. And so our, our plan to kind of slow down, hit pause on growth, kind of do a deep dive in some theology, just backfired. <laughs> the plan flopped like LeBron in the playoffs. <laughs> Nonetheless, we thank and praise God for all of this. And so really what I want to just ask is how do we, how do we cultivate, how do we sustain a spirit-filled church? And, and it's not a question we have to just sort of come up with answers for, but rather I think the best thing for us to do is just go back to the beginning and look at when the Spirit descended in the first century. What happened in the church? What, what, what did the early church look like? What rhythms did they embrace? Who did they become as a result of, of the fullness of the Spirit that they received? And so we're going to look at Acts 2 through 4 as a sort of blueprint for Spirit-filled church. We're going to look at the message the rhythms, and the culture of a Spirit-filled church. And so we'll start with the message. Uh, earlier in the series, we saw that the Spirit comes on God's people at Pentecost. It comes in power, comes with, with tongues of fire, a crowd gathers, and instead of trying to do something impressive or newsworthy, Peter simply gets up and preaches the gospel. He says in chapter 2, beginning in verse 23, you put Jesus to death by nailing him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then in verse 38, where we started our reading, he continued, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now, this message is and is always the foundation of a Spirit-filled church. The gospel is the center. It's, it's the base. It's the foundation. The Spirit does not become the center or the foundation, but rather the gospel of Jesus crucified and resurrected and ascended in glory. This is the core and the foundation of the early church, of the New Testament church, of our church, and hopefully of any church. But there's also no conflict between being gospel-centered and spirit-filled. Because it's being gospel-centered that leads us into the fullness of the Spirit. We're not meant to end with the gospel, but rather the gospel leads us into life in the Spirit, into the church, into the mission of God. And Peter said, this promise is for you and for all who are far off. And it's just remarkable to see the way the Lord has, has grown us both internally, spiritually, as well as, as in, in numbers and, and through the mission that you all have extended as you have grown in your understanding of the gospel and the fullness that you experience in the spirit. You're sharing your faith. You are inviting people to church. Your changed life is resulting in the changed lives of other people. And so we, we give God all the glory and we recognize that this is how God operates. God speaks his word through human servants and teachers. He furthers his grand plan of redemption through ordinary people like us. 
In between the two texts that we read, Acts 4 verse 13 says this, when the religious leaders saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? The only thing remarkable about these early believers was the presence of Christ in them, the fullness of the Holy Spirit in them. And yet within 30 years, this gospel just explodes all over the region. It goes into modern day Turkey and Greece and Italy and Egypt and all over the place in one generation. And these were very ordinary, uneducated people. How did they do it? The answer is the spirit of Jesus. As they, as they were led by the Spirit of Jesus, knowing that they had been with Jesus, they extended His mission. The same is true for us today. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit, through spending time in the presence of Jesus, that we become transformed people. And changed people change people. And so this is our goal as a church. It's to practice the way of Jesus together for the renewal of all things, extending the gospel message through our lives, through our words, as we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are doing the exact same thing that the early church was all about. Now, as we said the very first week, to, to do what the New Testament church did means that we need to be about both word and spirit. If you remember back to, to week one, I said there are some churches that lean more word and churches that lean more spirit. And you can kind of put these groups of churches into two categories of word churches and spirit churches. And I want to actually throw up some slides again. Throw up is not the phrase that I meant to use. Put some slides up. Thank you. And, you know, some of you weren't here on week one, so it's new to you. For others of us, it's a refresher and something hopefully that will sink a little bit deeper. The idea is that we want to embrace the best of both. Word churches tend to be focused on the sermon and their gatherings where spirit churches tend to be focused on worship. Word churches are heavy on structure where spirit churches emphasize spontaneity. Word churches are, are known for their knowledge where spirit churches are known for their experience. Word churches tend to focus and teach on what God has done while spirit churches emphasize what God will do. Word churches are focused on biblical wisdom, where spirit churches tend to be focused on spiritual discernment. When hardship and suffering comes, word churches embrace suffering in a beautiful way, and yet spirit churches expect healing in a beautiful way. Word churches are more discipleship-oriented, where spirit churches are more renewal-oriented. Word churches know that God works through slow, slow and ordinary process, and yet spirit churches know that God also works through sudden and surprising breakthrough. Where churches emphasize that God has spoken, where spirit churches emphasize that he still is speaking. In word churches, there can be a sort of fear of emotion, and in spirit churches, there can be a fear of intellectualism. Word churches can be potentially skeptical or, or uh, challenging of anything that seems supernatural, and yet spirit churches can be potentially gullible, saying that, that anything that happens has something deeper, more spiritual. In word churches, seminary training is praised. In spirit churches, spiritual gifts are praised. Now, we'll keep going. If we look at worship, I know this is a lot, but we're doing it. 
When it comes to worship, word churches love to reflect on and proclaim truth, while spirit churches simply enjoy God's presence. Word churches are more transcendence-oriented, the, the bigness and greatness and grandeur of God. Spirit churches are more about God's nearness, His presence, His, His love, His immediacy to us. Word churches tend to embrace liturgy. Spirit churches have more expression. Word churches sing about God. Spirit churches sing to God. The risk of the word church is no emotion. The risk of the spirit church is manipulating emotion. When it comes to prayer, in the word church, prayer is mostly monologue. In the spirit church, it's mostly dialogue. Prayer in the word church often emphasizes confession of sin, where in the spirit church, seeking deliverance is emphasized. Word churches often have lower expectations of prayer because it's more of a monologue. The spirit church has higher expectations, seeking God's answer and response. Where churches seek wisdom and peace when things are difficult, spirit churches seek healing and renewal. And where churches accept God's silence in times of unanswered prayer, while spirit churches persist in prayer. And as I said, we're not trying to be one category or the other. We want to be both. And, and where there's a big divide, we want to be the best of both, or, or what the New Testament most closely leads us to. And some of you are going to be more word-oriented people, and some of you are going to be more spirit-oriented people, and we need each other. We're actually far better, far deeper, far greater as a church with, with a wide range of people who are both word-oriented and spirit-oriented. And so if you feel like the rest of the congregation is not as word-centered as you, that doesn't mean look for another church. That's your contribution to the church. And if you feel like the whole church is not as spirit-filled as you, that doesn't mean go somewhere else. That means use your, your spirit-filledness here. We are far stronger in a, in a diversity of, of views and styles than if we were totally homogenous. To be only a word or a spirit church is to embrace only part of what the New Testament has for us as individuals and as churches. And our desire is that you would not miss out on half of the Christian life, that you would receive all that God has for you. And all of this flows from this message, the good news of the gospel. And so that's the message, the core message of a spirit-filled church. The second thing are the rhythms. The question is, what did the early church do to, to remain both gospel-centered and spirit-filled? How did they sustain this kind of emphasis? And the answer is that they embraced certain rhythms that, that allowed them to hold these things together, to emphasize both God's Word and God's Spirit. And there's five rhythms that are specifically mentioned in Acts 2 and Acts 4. You see them all throughout the New Testament. Teaching, fellowship, service, worship, prayer, and evangelism. I think I said six. Teaching, fellowship, worship, prayer, and evangelism. I said service too, so that's included, but that's, we'll put that under fellowship maybe. All right, so the first one is teaching. We see in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, this is before the church had its own copies of the New Testament. It was still being written. It was being lived in their midst. And so what the early church did was they clung to the Old Testament scriptures and they clung to the teaching of the apostles. And as we know from Acts and the New Testament letters, the apostles' teaching was always centered on the gospel as we've been talking about. The second rhythm that they embraced was fellowship. 
is the main thing you see in these two passages. It says they devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. In the early church, they did so, so much life together. Remember, Christianity was birthed out of the religion of, of Israel. This was a distinct family of God. It was, a, it was a distinct social and ethnic and cultural group. And so they had a shared history. They had shared identity. And then when they put their faith in Christ, they retained that sense of community and that sense of fellowship. As they began to spread the gospel far outside of Jerusalem and Judea, other people were welcomed into this family community dynamic. And explicitly from God's word, we see that we are not a collection of individuals, but we are a family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And what do families do? As we see in Acts 2 and 4, they eat together. They support one another. They care for one another. They were radically independent or interdependent. And they were radically generous. It says in chapter 2, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Chapter 4 adds, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. This wasn't some social program. It wasn't a required tithe. It was an inner disposition of generosity. Their hearts had, be, had been changed. They wanted to give from their lives for the good of others. The third thing is worship. We see in chapter 2, verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, praising God. Those in Jerusalem gathered at the temple every single day for worship until they were basically kicked out, until the persecution was so great that they scattered all over the region, all over the Greco-Roman Empire. But even then, the gathered worship remained at the core of, of their shared calendar as a people. They gathered together as often as they could to praise God, to sing, to pray, to share communion. The fourth thing is prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And then in chapter 4, it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God more boldly. Now, I would suggest probably the biggest difference between the New Testament first century church and the contemporary American church today is found in prayer. I mean, in the early church in the first century, prayer was, uh, was the life of the church. They were desperately praying because they had to. They were being persecuted. I mean, just becoming Christians meant some of them lost their, their spouses or their family relationships, or they might have lost their work, or they might have been removed from their social group or their neighborhood or their community. They might have been persecuted physically. They, were, they, were, they had to give up so, so much when they became Christians. At the same time, they were trying to figure out how to do life as a new community from all of these different cultures with all different languages as a new family. Prayer was all they had to hold it together. They developed these deep, abiding prayer lives, both personally and in their communities. And prayer, as we see in the New Testament, it was just weaved throughout everything that they did. But in the, in the contemporary church, and a lot of my experience... Often prayer is like the, the transition between songs. I mean, prayer holds such a small place in the contemporary church in America. 
There might be a, a, a sparsely attended prayer meeting. There might be kind of prayer before or after things, but it just does not really demonstrate a life of dependence on God. My fear is that as, as the Western church, we, we don't really need prayer the way we used to. We have incredible music and, and teaching and programs and nice facilities. We've gotten to a point where we hardly need prayer at all. There's something deeper at work here in our culture, and that's that we've been told our whole lives that it's all up to us, that we have to pull things together, we have to get it right, we have to, we have to make things happen, and so we hustle and we grind and we try to do the best that we can and pursue excellence. And it burns out the entire world and it burns out the church. It's not what we were created for. We were created as limited, dependent, needy creatures. Creatures that are desperately dependent on their creator. We can live in the strength and mercy of God's power. We don't have to do life in our own strength. We also don't have to do church in our own strength. We have the same Acts 2 power available to us that they had in the first century. The power of God to see lives changed, the sick healed, demons cast out, new churches planted. And prayer is the means by which we get more of God's presence and power. And then here's the fifth thing, evangelism or sharing their faith. It says the church was enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So even though the, the early believers were being persecuted by the religious authorities and the officials, they had the favor of all the common people. And the reason for this was how they lived their lives in the community, the way they gave their lives away, the way they cared not only for the, the sick and the poor and the needy in their own midst, but even for the poor and sick and needy outside of them in the wider community. These, these Christ-loving believers, they looked exactly like everyone else in their, in their cities. They, they didn't stand out on first glance, and yet their, their inner quality was totally different. Their lives looked, looked absolutely different once you got to know them. They had a power and a peace that no one else had that was, that was appealing to the whole world. And the reason for that is the Holy Spirit's presence. They looked the same on the outside, but inside they had a completely different power and peace. It's this Holy Spirit who's invisible yet fills us with love and joy and gentleness, all of Christ's character. It's the Holy Spirit who fills believers with strength and power to put others first, to serve those that are unlike us, even to the point of our own sacrificial giving of our lives. It's the Holy Spirit that fills the church and equips it for gifts, for the good of the whole. It's not who we are on the outside that counts. It's what is going on inside of us. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that makes us different. And so this is what the early church did. These were their rhythms. Very, very simple, straightforward things that, that almost every single church does today. If you've been paying attention, those five rhythms are basically our five core values as a church. We're not super original. We're just trying to do New Testament things as best we can. But really, almost every church does this as well, does teaching, does fellowship, does worship and prayer and evangelism. And so our goal is not to be totally distinct, and yet we do have a certain culture about us. We do think that pursuing both gospel-centeredness and spirit-filledness will lead to a certain kind of church. 
And so that's the third thing. What's, what's the culture or, or the ethos, or if you're a young person, the vibe of a spirit-filled church? And I kind of think of this like, like coffee shops. I spend a lot of time in coffee shops because I'm a pastor. And coffee shops all do the same things, right? Like every coffee shop, they have the same exact menu. It's like coffee, latte stuff, other stuff, but it's basically all the same. And yet every coffee shop has its own vibe, right? Like it has its own culture, its own ethos. You go to Starbucks, it's like kind of the SUV driving, active mom. You go to Lakota, it's like the business dad doing a sales meeting or something. So mom and dad are at Lakota and Starbucks. Where are the kids? They're at Ecola. Ecola's downtown. If you haven't been there, it's graciously staffed by Trinity's worship team. It used to be called three-story coffee. They changed it to a cola, which I just learned is Portuguese for Trinity young people. That's my joke. I know. It's too easy. All right. So what about us? What about our, our, our ethos or our culture? What is it that we're, we're trying to build as a unique congregation in light of who the New Testament has called us to be? I want to give you a couple of applications that we'll close with. And and this is a way for us to answer, where, where do we go from here? Like, who are we? Where do we go? What is, what is Trinity going to do to step into all of this goodness? And the first thing is simply from Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You remember that in Ephesians 1, earlier in the letter, Paul tells the Ephesians that they are already full of the Holy Spirit, And yet in chapter 5, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's pleading with them, get more of the Spirit's presence and power in your life. We often say and sing and pray here, come Holy Spirit. It's an ancient prayer called the Epiclesis Prayer, come Holy Spirit. And of course, we know that the Spirit is everywhere. He's omnipresent, and yet he is his, his manifest presence, his felt, experienced presence is with those who seek him most. It's, it's a spirit-honoring thing to pray, come Holy Spirit, fill me with your presence, fill me with your joy and your peace and your power. The first thing is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The second thing is to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 31 says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts, those that, that build up the whole body. And then chapter 14, verse 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And in case you missed it, Paul comes back in verse 39. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. And so over and over, Paul is compelling us to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. And we know that the gifts of the Spirit are from Each member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is involved in giving the gifts. And each gift is not some other thing or substance. It's actually just God giving us something of himself. These are good gifts for the church. It's it's God's presence manifest in our lives. Practically, Practically, I would say, devote yourself to your primary spiritual gift and seek to grow in one other gift. And so devote yourself to your, your primary spiritual gift. If, if you've got a sense of what that is, if you don't, talk to the people in your community group, your friends, others that are around you. 
Find out what your primary spiritual gift is and, and devote yourself to building up the body with that gift. At the same time, also pick one gift that the Lord maybe has set on your heart that you want to grow in, that you want to explore more deeply. Don't let this season series finale be the end of your, your searching the scriptures about the things of the Spirit. So lean into your prophetic, your, your, your priestly, your spiritual gifts. Eagerly desire them. Number three, devote yourself also to prayer and worship. Give yourself both to, to daily prayer and prayer with others. And pray, pray without ceasing. Pray every single day. Make your life an overflow of prayer as you pour out your hearts to God. Take everything to the Lord in prayer. Just as the early church was consumed with a life of prayer, we can be too as we realize how much we need God. At the same time, pray with other people. Pray with your friends, pray with your roommates, pray with your spouse, pray with your kids, pray with your community group, pray at one of our 10 weekly prayer gatherings. We learn to pray by praying with others, so do both. In the same way, commit to daily and prayer, or excuse me, worship with others. In the same way that we pray daily, as soon as we get ourselves into a life of prayer, worship will be the natural overflow and so daily worship could look like you singing at home, singing in your car, praising God and thanking Him for all that He's doing in your life. But also give yourself to praying and worshiping, sorry, with others. In the life of the church, in your community group as you're able, come to prayer nights, come to worship nights, sing your hearts out. Devote yourself to prayer and worship. The fourth thing is to resist lukewarm comfortable Christianity. We looked last week at, at spiritual warfare, how we have a real enemy in this world who is constantly attacking us. If you ever feel like this life is way harder than it should be, or that your Christian life is way harder than it should be, this is why. You have a real enemy that is opposing and attacking you at all times. And as we said, the primary act of spiritual warfare, the thing that the, the enemy wants to get you to do it's not something crazy. It's just he wants to keep you lukewarm. He wants to get you, you timid and, and ineffective or, or lacking any kind of depth and power. The enemy wants to keep you lukewarm. And Paul says, stand firm. Keep on praying with all sorts of prayers at all times. Reject the, the lukewarm, easy comfort Christianity. And instead, this is the fifth thing, cultivate a hunger for God. All these phrases you've heard before. Here's another one, hunger. You remember this one? Hunger is the best sauce. We said that a few weeks ago. Hunger is the sauce that if you put it on anything, it tastes better. It's sweeter, it's, it's deeper. All of your life goes better when you're hungry for God. So how do you cultivate a hunger for God? We do it through worship. We do it through prayer. We do it through fellowship. And yet we can do all of these things without a hunger for God, right? I mean, you can do all of the Christian life without any kind of real hunger. That's, that's essentially what the Pharisees were doing. They were doing everything religious you could do, and yet their hearts were so far from Jesus. The goal of the Christian life is not to do all the things. It's, it's to cultivate a hunger for God, to draw near to Him, to experience intimacy with God. And so seek His face. 
Wait on Him in prayer. Sing His praises in worship, even when you don't feel like it, especially when you don't feel like it. Continue to seek more of a heart for God. This is the last thing, number six. God comes where He's wanted. So let's be a church that, that wants Him here. This is what John Tyson said, God comes where he's wanted. Why does, why does revival happen in one place and not another? It's because they want him more in one place. Why do some people seem to get more of the Spirit's presence or power? It's because they are hungrier. It's because they want more of God's presence and power. When people get hungry for God, God shows up in powerful ways. We've often said it's not our job to make the wind blow, but it's our job just to put the sail up so that when the wind does blow, that we are ready. I was at a conference last fall, and this older pastor who was like retiring or something, he was speaking to the young leaders, and he said something that wasn't even the point of his talk, but it was kind of a throwaway comment. He said, build a sailboat, not a rowboat. And I loved it. Because a rowboat is, is human-powered, right? You're constantly stroking. You're constantly working. The second you stop working, everything comes to a stop. And yet a sailboat is, is wind-powered. You put the sail up and let the wind just carry you wherever it will take you. This church, we're not trying to build a rowboat. We're trying to build a sailboat. And in America, there are some really elaborate rowboats, Right? Some rowboats that are like the coolest looking, like most polished rowboats, but they're still human powered. And man, that is not who we want to be. We want to be a spirit led, you know, a wind blown community. We want the wind of the spirit to move us along. We often say our, our leaders here, we don't we don't care how big we get. We don't care much about facilities and programs or influence. We're not here to play church for the next 30 years or 300 years. We care about following the way of Jesus together. We care about teaching the scriptures and becoming like the church that was birthed out of them through the Holy Spirit. Most of the time, that's going to look like a long obedience in the same direction, just faithfully going through these rhythms that Christ has given us with a gentle breeze blowing us along. And yet, if God wants to do far more than we can ask for or even imagine, we want that as well. We want both the process and the breakthrough. We want the slow and ordinary and the sudden and surprising. God comes where he's wanted. And this whole series has been a way for us to, to come around the, the idea of, of seeking God with all of our heart, all of our strength, all of our soul. Cultivate a hunger for him. Build a sailboat. Keep the sailboat. Keep the sail up. God is doing something so amazing and so beautiful in this congregation. In each one of your lives, even if you're, you're new here and you're just exploring it, the Lord is doing something so beautiful and we get to be a part of it. So cultivate a hunger for God. Be filled with his spirit. Give yourself to the way of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we are so, so thankful and so in awe of who you are. 
and of how you work in our lives, of what you're doing in our midst. Lord, we are overwhelmed by your goodness and by your mercy and by your strength. Lord, I see a tendency in me to do life in my own strength and with my own uh, intellect or, or, or whatever it is. God, I know the tendency of every church is just to sort of begin to do things in their own strength and their own power. And Lord, we want to resist that with every fiber of our being. Lord, we want, we want you. We want more of your presence. We want more of your strength, more of your wind blowing us in the right direction. Father, may we not get in the way of what you're trying to do in our city. But rather, Lord, we say, come, would you, would you grant us that we might participate in what you're doing here and now? Lord, we love you and we simply want more of you. Would you draw us deeper into your presence? Grant us more of yourself, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.